This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at AFSP.org slash talkawaythedark. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. It was a historic night in Chicago as Mayor Lori Lightfoot lost a tight re-election bid for a second term. Obviously, we didn't win the election today, but I stand here with my head held high and a heart full of gratitude. Lightfoot is the first black woman to run the city of Chicago and the first LGBTQ mayor. She came in as a reformer and faced a challenge no one saw coming, COVID-19. More recently, crime, a problem in so many U.S. cities today, took center stage. I am grateful to the millions of Chicagoans who came together as we made tough decisions, saw the struggles of our frontline workers, and beat back a deadly pandemic. I'm grateful that we worked together to remove a record number of guns off our streets, reduce homicides, and started making real progress on public safety. Crime and public safety were by far the top issues for voters in the election, an election where Lightfoot finished third with just over 17% of the vote, a few percentage points shy of making the runoff. Regardless of tonight's outcome, we fought the right fights and we put this city on a better path. No doubt about it. Now, as we all know in life, In the end, you don't always win every battle, but you never regret taking on the powerful and bringing in the light. In Lightfoot's place, Chicago will have either former CPS CEO Paul Vallis, who's the top vote getter with 34 percent of the vote, or Cook County Commissioner Brandon Johnson, who pulled in 20 percent of the votes. Here they are speaking to their supporters last night. You turned our hope into reality because you believe that a better Chicago is possible. But guess what we get to do now, y'all? We get to turn the page of the politics of old. This city has never really been the city that works for everyone. But it will be when I am mayor. The runoff is just over a month away on April 4th. We've got a great panel to discuss all of it. Jaime Dominguez is a Northwestern University political science professor. Alden Lowry is WBEZ's data projects editor. And Mariah Wolfel is a WBEZ city politics reporter. Okay, I want to ask you the same question. Are you surprised? I thought for sure that we were going to still be waiting to see who's in the runoff and that it would be a tighter race between Vallis, Johnson, Lightfoot, and Garcia. Well, the only surprise was just the surge, I think, of Brandon Johnson just in the last couple of days. Uh, but at the end of the day... Catapulting think, right to the top. Absolutely. But at the end of the day, in politics, it's all about the ground game. And that's exactly what we saw. We saw a well-oiled ground operation basically, uh, you know, uh, basically reach every corner of the city of Chicago. And they got their voters out. And we saw the result 
uh, last night. Uh, in terms of Vela's coming down in front, that was expected. I mean, every poll, even the one we did at Northwestern, um, Vela's did come out in front. And yeah. crime was obviously the major issue. Any surprises for you, Alden? Um, and I wouldn't say in, in the overall uh, results. Uh, when you dig in a little bit, I was uh, a little surprised. I thought uh, I thought uh, Garcia would do a little better than he did. Um, uh, I was actually a little surprised at, at the, the mayor's um, uh, showing. I actually thought she she might have been a little lower. She was within uh, contention to uh, to get to the runoff. I didn't I didn't think it'd be as close. Mm-hmm. Um, and Johnson's numbers were a little higher than I thought they'd be. But I, I, I thought for sure that he'd be among the top three. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Mariah, what about how quickly Lightfoot conceded? That was that was a surprise to me. I did, you know, Lightfoot is strong headed and she really wanted this win for obvious reasons. Mm -hmm. And I was surprised about, you know, seeing her concede before 9 p.m., having said she called um, both Vallis and Johnson. And uh, uh, pundits were predicting that we would be recounting ballots and and we'd be holding off on naming winners until all those mail in ballots uh, were counted. What happened? I think that um, they had they had many, many mail-in ballots that arrived before yesterday's election that they were able to count and put live as results uh, right at 7.15. It's kind of why we saw ballots surge so quickly in the night, because a lot of the high turnout for early voting and vote by mail was in um, wards where you would expect him to do well, in the 19th ward, mm-hmm. where a lot of first responders live, in the first 41st ward um, on the northwest side. And so... Um, you know, they're, they're still counting. And, and will the results of the, the remaining mail-in ballots make a difference, you think? I mean, you figure that the remaining mail-in ballots will be of similar ratio to the results we're seeing now. And so and so, while the election won't be officially called until, you know, March 14th, I think, is the date that the Board of Elections is pushing for, um, I, I don't think we'll see a change in these results. All right, let's go back to the beginning, Professor. I mean, we started out this election with a huge field of candidates, and a lot of folks figured the name recognition of some hopefuls, that that would be the winning factor. I mean, who else thought at least going in, the lead contenders were going to be Lightfoot and Garcia, right? Yeah, uh, definitely because of the name recognition. But in terms of Garcia, I think two things really needed to happen. Uh, The first is that he obviously needed to receive a majority of the Latino vote. That didn't happen. Secondly, they needed to have high turnout within the Latino uh, electorate. That did not happen. So that on itself kind of doomed them. And I think also the fact that um, his campaign just never really got off the ground. I think it has to do with the fact that, one, he came in so late, so therefore he wasn't able to receive the large, uh, the big endorsements from labor unions, SEIU, and, and the CTU, obviously. Uh, and so I think that um, really affected his ability to, to uh, you know, have, have a message, a substantive message about change and being the progressive that he was. Yeah. Um, so I thought that, you know, that, that needed to go his way. And Lori Lightfoot, I also expected her to maybe do a little bit better, I think. But it's very clear that there was just a wide disdain for the former mayor uh, across the seat in every corner. Yeah, Alden, the incumbent lost. This is the first time in 40 years. Let's chew on that for a minute. What does it tell us? Um, I think in, in the case of Lightfoot, it tells us that um, that she came in not being a really known political commodity. So um, while I mean, we were all surprised that she won by the level to which she defeated Tony Preckwinkle four years ago, which I think was more so about 
Tony Preckwinkle than it was necessarily about Lori Lightfoot. But Lightfoot came in with a fresh message, uh, reform-minded, a lot of tough talk. The things that people say, you know, kind of saddled her uh, time as mayor, uh, I think, was actually something that people really uh, kind of grabbed onto uh, when she was running as a candidate. Um, but she was also the mayor of this city during the pandemic. And, I, I you know, I, I got to think, uh, I thought there were a lot of things that she did that were pretty smart and were refreshing that were along the lines of what she said she would do. And then there were things where she didn't go as far as she said she would go. Mm-hmm. She would go. But um, but it just had to be tough to be the mayor of any major city. I think during, any way you slice period. it, yeah. this yeah. term goes down in history. Right. Yeah. Um, only one other woman, Jane Byrne, has served as mayor of Chicago. She also didn't win reelection. Mariah, I got to ask the question out loud. Are voters less forgiving of women leaders? What do you think? I mean, my inclination is to say that um, women, I, I don't think it's a crazy thing to say that women are held to a higher standard in our society, particularly black women, as Lightfoot has said on the campaign trail. But I do think that she, like Alden said, came in with a lot of promises and objectively was hit with just unprecedented challenges, um, given, you know, including the the COVID pandemic, a rise in violence, um, and, you know, did not do herself any favors um, in her dealings with other elected officials, including Governor J.B. Pritzker, state's attorney Kim Fox. Um, You know, mayors wear a lot of hats, and one of them is as policymaker, and Lightfoot has a lot of accomplishments on that realm. She um, is bringing Chicago's first casino. She uh, found a way to make financially viable the extension of the red line. She started the city's first co-responder 911 pilot program that sends mental health professionals out with police. Um, But I also think last night's vote shows that demeanor also matters as a mayor. Um, A mayor is someone that voters and residents look up to. Uh, They want someone who can set the tone for how we deal with difficult situations. And Lightfoot wasn't always great in that realm, as evidenced by her fights with the Chicago Teachers Union, which, of course, she was set up to kind of fail in that regard because the teachers union um, hates her, frankly, uh, and, you know, ran and supported her opponent in 2019. Um, but her dealings with the Chicago City Council, who voted, you know, with their feet by leaving um, and running against her in some cases. And so I think that that is uh, maybe not equally, but also an important factor for voters. Yeah. Professor Dominguez, I saw you nodding along there. Do you yeah. agree? Are, are women leaders held to a different standard? I think so. And then maybe people just expected just uh, quicker results. Uh, but we know in politics, it's uh, change is, is slow. Uh, um, and I think that, you know, unfortunately, she didn't get that second term to be able to perhaps uh, um, massage some of those rough edges of, as, as Mariah was saying, in terms of her ability to, to govern, right? Because you have in a city like Chicago, that's such a heterogeneous mosaic of different folks of national origin, class, education. It's very important if you're going to project yourself as a consensus builder, then I think that you, you know, you're going to win some, you're going to lose some. But yeah. at some point, you have to come down to the center and you're not going to always get what you want. Uh, but as Mariah was saying, uh, you know, she's headstrong. And I could just imagine for her, it was it, it has been challenging, particularly just as a as a federal prosecutor I mean, in a dominant, uh, dominant male uh, industry. I think also, you know, she, I think that's what also made her tough. And I think that's what I think allowed her to become mayor in the first place. 
Alden, we're going to talk about winners in a bit, but I do want to stick with talking about the current mayor. Remind us of the mood four years ago when Lightfoot won. Um, it was um, it was a kind of engaging uh, time period. Uh, the seat was open. Rahm Emanuel decided not to run for re-election. Um, so there was a lot of energy and excitement about, you know, who the who this this next person would be. We had 14 people that actually made the ballot. There were even more that had, had actually tried to to get on the ballot. And we had a range of characters. Uh, um, Tony Preckwinkle was the name that that many were thinking about. Uh, Bill Daly was also uh, in that race and people were thinking about him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Willie Wilson was back uh, again. Um, um, but uh, Lori Lightfoot was just this kind of. Unknown, but known in some respects. Uh, she had never, you know, held an elected office. But uh, her time on the police board, she, as as leader of the police board, she, you know, established a presence. Um, and I think her campaign just picked up. Uh, yeah. Uh, Tony Preckwinkle was saddled by all of the the bad press and everything. Uh, her relationship with Ed Burke. Um, and it, it's a very interesting thing because Tony Preckwinkle had been, when she was on the city council, kind of like this reform-minded darling. She was not a very strong presence in the standpoint of a direct confrontation with uh, with Mayor Daley. But by the policies that she took and the, and the moments when she did stand up, she did establish herself as somebody who would buck the Daley system but, but do it respectfully in the way. She was longtime alderman of the Fourth Ward and considered by many, you know, a lakefront and liberal-minded backed uh, politician. And all of that support that she had built to become the Cook County Board president just evaporated in the in the space of all of the talk around um, the scandal with Burke and, and other things. Uh, and she had become the machine, essentially, yeah. uh, taking over the Cook County Democratic Party. And that was something that Lightfoot jumped on. And it really, uh, it really fit her 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 mode at that moment and uh, carried her to victory. Yeah, and we've we've talked about this today. We talked about it last night. The the unprecedented challenges that she faced. I want to go back to 2020 and her response to the COVID pandemic. I remember those memes. I, I I didn't quite live here yet, but I remember the memes of her telling people to stay home. You know, they, they were everywhere back in March and April 2020. Uh, Professor, what did you make of her in, initial pandemic response? I think that, like any other CEO of any city, it's just it was just um, you know it was unprecedented. So I think she was just uh, like you know uh, any other mayor was just trying as best as possible to kind of assess the situation and not knowing exactly how to go about uh, addressing the pandemic and how to, to make sure that right that the city remain a, a, a safe for all citizens, but at the same time like you know, has to remain economically viable and competitive. So she had to basically kind of balance all those things. And, um, you know, um, she I think she did the best that she possibly could. Alden, you and your team, you tracked the COVID deaths by zip code and, and found staggering disparities in who was dying and where. How did the Life Administration work to bring resources to hospitals that were serving black and brown communities and meet the needs of the essential workers? I think that um, the Life of the Administration responded um, once, you know, kind of the news was out about the disparate uh, impact on black and, and then later uh, uh, brown communities in Chicago. Um, uh, she had established, uh, I, I think they were called rapid response teams. And, and the notion there was really kind of being on the ground, partnered with, I want to say, a dozen or so maybe uh, community organizations Mm -hmm. uh, to really kind of uh, be the city's eyes and ears on the ground. What do people need? What do they want? And then kind of putting together an infrastructure to try to deliver those things. 
Um, the question that we raised when we were looking at this uh, back in 2020 was, as laudable as those efforts were, should we have known in advance that this is how the pandemic would hit, particularly black communities, um, that maybe that some of that action could have been taken beforehand? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, by the time this was news, we were into April and May, the death numbers were, were really staggering in black communities. And then later, the infection numbers were really staggering in Latino communities. And again, the question was, didn't we know enough about the way uh, folks live in those communities, the way they're detached from other uh, aspects of service delivery, that once we knew we had a pandemic on our hands, we should have been mobilizing resources to make sure that we could have got out in front of this thing. Yeah. And uh, Mariah, the mayor also faced high levels of civil unrest in the summer of 2020. On one hand, she was criticized by young progressive Chicagoans for how she responded to protesters, you know, putting them in what they said were unsafe conditions. And then on the other hand, she was criticized by the business community. They were saying that she wasn't doing enough to protect them from the looting that was happening. So who did she end up siding with and whose interests would you say she worked to protect? I think this was a lose-lose um Example of Lightfoot's tenure, Um, you know, many activists will remember her raising bridges uh, to stop protesters from coming into downtown areas. There are kind of iconic pictures of those bridges that, you know, you see people tweeting like this is this is how I'm going to remember Lightfoot whenever I hear her name is how she, you know, prevented um, black and brown and 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 just activists from from, you know, speaking their truth during these protests. Um, but she also got flack from police officers uh, who said, you know, when when she like put out a call to report police abuse um, during protesters um, that they felt, uh, you know, that she was siding with activists. And so it, it really wasn't a really she, she, she really didn't win uh, either of those sides, and that kind of continued to mark her dealings with both of those communities. Yeah, she was between a, a rock and a hard place, you know, because in an effort to deploy more police to respond to looting and protests, she ran into that overtime problem for, for CPD as well. So a lot happening there. She ran on police reform. Alden, how effectively would you say she implemented reforms? Um. Well, I would say that I, I, I would stop short of saying that she didn't. But um, but but I mean, I don't think there was any terribly meaningful uh, changes with regard to implementation of the consent decree um, or uh, demonstrable ways in which policing was done differently. Um, and there was a double edged sword there. Right. So in the while she came in with that uh, kind of stance behind her. Uh, she also, you know, was mayor during a time when, you know, we were seeing uh, crime and violence at a level that we hadn't seen in decades. Yeah. And uh, and, you know, the juxtaposition of uh, wanting to be uh, hold police uh, accountable, wanting to have a critical eye in the ways in which police are, are performing their duties, but then also wanting to look at how do we address the level of crime um, and violence that we were having, especially when we're seeing young people committing carjackings and other things like that. It was so visible and so dramatic. And ultimately, I think, was very clearly the issue that kind of brought her down and is the issue that Paul Vallis has kind of stood upon to kind of elevate himself. I mean, remember, this is a guy who only got like 5% of the vote mm. the last time he did this, and now he's, right. he's the clear, faraway leader at 34%. And I think there's some other dynamics there as well. 
But um, but clearly his stance on public safety and being the strongest voice was the thing that kind of carried him and ultimately maybe the thing that that might have deep sixed uh, Lightfoot's uh, reelection. Let's dig into the candidates who came out on top, starting with Cook County Commissioner Brandon Johnson. Alden, Johnson started out this election a bit of an underdog, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I, I think the by the very nature that he um, was a Cook County commissioner, uh, I think very early on, uh, uh, Cook County Board President Tony Preckwinkle had thrown her support behind him. And it was known that, uh, you know, his connection as an educator and everything uh, with the Chicago Teachers Union, that that would be something that would be helpful for him. But, yeah, he was just kind of a one of the names in the crowd. Uh, he and Cam Buckner in particular were folks that were like, you know, kind of these wild cards. Uh, it's kind of hard to figure out who they are. But then along in the campaign, I think maybe once he was able to get some of his uh, his uh, television commercials out, things started to pick up. And uh, you could see other candidates in the field starting to turn their attention toward him. We saw the mayor starting to be a little more critical of, of mm-hmm. him as well. Um, and uh, so he, he gained some momentum, maybe about I want to say maybe about mid-January or so into February, and, and, and that seemed to really do him well. Yeah. He even kind of referenced this in his speech last night. Let's listen. Two months ago, they said they didn't know who I was. Well, if you didn't know, now you know. Mariah, who is Brandon Johnson? Because I know folks have been following the election. Folks who have been following the election know who he is. But for those who aren't aware, what, what do we need to know about him? Well, Brandon Johnson, as you said, is a Cook County commissioner. He's also a paid organizer with the Chicago Teachers Union, a member of the CTU, a former teacher. He's a father. He um, lives with his wife and his kids in Chicago's Austin community. Talked about that a lot on the campaign trail, you know, um, tells a story about how, you know, talks about how he has a big incentive for, you know, solving the city's uh, violent crime, you know, that disproportionately affects the South and West sides because he is fearful when his kid goes on a bike ride um, to soccer practice and those sorts of things. Um, You know, I think he, uh, some of his notable um, accomplishments on the Cook County Board, one, during the George Floyd protests, he passed a resolution, a non-binding resolution that would shift funds away from the Cook County Sheriff's Office. That's something Lightfoot tried to hit him on on the campaign trail. He also passed a law that... um, prevents people from discriminating against those with felony convictions on their records when trying to obtain housing. Um, But, yeah, I think that, you know, in terms of name recognition, the CTU's endorsement really went a long way for him because Mm -hmm. it brought foot soldiers who were able to knock on doors, who were able to, you know, help organize the ground game that he did so well with. You know, he had a lot of house parties throughout neighborhoods that, you know, his supporters hosted for him throughout the city. Um, And it also brought in, you know, tons of funding. Uh, The CTU, you know, gave him, uh, you know, around a million dollars. But then it also brings in endorsements from national organizations like the American Federation of Teachers, which also gave him a million dollars. And so I think that went a long way for him in in getting and staying on TV. Now, Professor, let's talk about Vallis for for a moment here. Uh, Vallis gained momentum fairly early on, continued to build on that. But for folks who have been following Chicago politics for years, he's been known as an also-ran Right. Uh, what do you think pushed him to become the election front runner? I think he borrowed a, a, a page from the Republican playbook, playbook in tr- at the national level in terms of uh, crime being an issue that people can get get behind. 
uh, this, um, you know, um, really attacked this kind of defunding the police. Uh, and so I think for him, that, that I think is what pushed him to, to, be, to be the front runner, essentially. Yeah. Um, but I think also at the same time, I just want to just go back real quickly just to um, Johnson. Uh, Johnson, that I think, ironically, Lori Lightfoot really, I think, opened up wide in his lane, I think, over the last co- three weeks, maybe, with her atta- early attacks on Chuy Garcia, because they were the two, considered the two most progressive candidates uh, of, of everybody that was running. And so I think that I those commercials, I think, gave progressive voters, perhaps, who were not Maybe I couldn't vote for Johnson, an, oppor- a, a, an excuse maybe, if I can say that, to mm-hmm. actually vote for him and get behind him once people started to read the numbers as we were getting closer to the election. So yeah. just want to just state that. Yeah. And Alden, you know, uh, we talked about how Johnson won that endorsement of the Chicago Teachers Union, uh, which it did not go to, to Vallis. So what kind of relationship could we expect between Vallis and the Teachers Union? Um, <laughs> I expect it would actually be a, a fairly contentious uh, relationship. Uh, Vallis was one of the early uh, uh, proponents of, uh, you know, for lack of a better way of saying it, the privatization of of public education. And um, if you're on that train, you are definitely at odds with the Chicago Teachers Union. Um, And uh, we've heard uh, in in his speech yesterday, Brandon Johnson uh, talk about uh, he he gave us a whole resume of uh, (laughs) Paul Vallis uh, and, and a very critical one at that, but he talked about his time in New Orleans, uh, and he m- made specific uh, mention of uh, the uh, charter movement that took place uh, post uh, Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans, um, which is a very sore spot for, uh, I think, you know, kind of public education, at least on the union side, uh, advocates across the country. Uh, same uh, similar thing in Philadelphia as well. He made reference to so, uh, and all of that started during his his time, and it's part of his legacy here in Chicago. So, yeah, yeah I don't I don't think he's going to find very many friends uh, with the CTU. Yeah, no, I would agree. I think Vallis, out of all the nine candidates voters had to choose from, is the most hated by the Chicago Teachers Union um, because of his his you know um, preference for for school choice, which he says get you know he he argues is um, you know allows. Uh, uh, kids whose neighborhood schools aren't great to have another option. Um, the CTU vehemently, you know, rejects that explanation. But I, 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 I foresee a very contentious relationship between the two. If Vallis were to become mayor, I think the CTU's contract is, uh, you know, up in 2024. So that's you know something yeah. that's on the slate. And education is going to be a huge issue for the next mayor as. We transitioned to a partially elected school board. We have those school board elections in 2024 and a moratorium on school closings lifts um, in the coming years. And so Vallis has said he wants to close under-enrolled schools. Um, Johnson has said he does not want to. And so mm-hmm. you really have like opposite ends of the spectrum on on education and on crime between these two candidates. And and, and if you can comment, Mariah, on, on Vallis just as a, a coalition builder, right? Because we've said a lot about like. Foot's demeanor that caused a lot of animosity uh, with among city council. Would Vallis be sort of a return to that familiar style of a, a mayor that plays the political game? Yeah, I mean, Vallis is a, I mean, I, I think his, I'm still getting to know his personality a bit, but he comes off as, as a likable guy. He comes off as a knowledgeable person in the room. It seems as though he would attempt to have a 
uh, I don't know if you're going to say schmoozy or a wheel and deal um, relationship with the city council, which Lightfoot, and it's a point of pride of hers, did did not. You know, she said she manages to the 26 that she needs to pass legislation and she doesn't trade votes for favors. Um, And so, uh, yeah, no, I think that remains to be remains to be seen how he'll how he'll be in office as a coalition builder. It's time to turn from mayoral results to the 50 aldermanic races on yesterday's ballot. City Council has seen an incredible number of retirements and resignations over the past year. About a quarter of the city's wards will now have a new alder person. So let's go through some of the notable races. Mariah, what does the future makeup of city council look like this morning? Well, I know we've got a, quite a number of runoffs. Lots of races are going to a runoff. Um, I think my last count was around 14 were undecided and, you know, headed to, you know, potentially headed to a runoff once we get all vote by mail ballots in. Of the races that have been decided, no incumbent has lost their seat. Um, that's with one exception of Annabelle Abarca, who was a mayoral appointed incumbent, incumbent who's only had her seat for a couple of months after she replaced um, George Cardenas in the 12th Ward. She lost to a challenger. Um, so that's kind of interesting. And then another mayoral appointed candidate, Nicole Lee, in the 11th Ward is headed to a runoff and came in second. Um, first place was a Chicago police officer who got $20,000 from the FOP. And this is an important ward because, you know, Asian Amer- Asian Chicagoans for a long time have waited for representation in the city council. Uh, they got it in Nicole Lee. Um, but, you know, it remains to be seen whether that seat's going to stay with her or mm-hmm. if it's going to go to one of, yeah, if it's going to go to um, the Chicago police officer who's who's giving her uh, a fight how did progressive candidates do overall? I think still still waiting to see a lot of those um a lot of those races are headed to a runoff because you saw well progressive incum- incumbents um kept their seats. You know, there are CTU and UWF candidates like Maria Haddon, Matt Martin, um Carlos Ramirez Rosa, Rosana Rodriguez Sanchez, all of those incumbents who are who are part of the core of the city council's progressive and democratic and some of them in the Democratic Socialist Caucus uh, kept their seats last night outright. Um, but, you know, as you know, we we've had a, a large exodus of city council uh, incumbents who decided not to run. Yeah. And those are the seats that are, you know, where we saw six, eight, ten candidates running um, and a progressive in each of those uh that are going to be headed to a runoff. So it's still, you Mm -hmm. know, it's still it's still working itself out. Professor, how would a more progressive city council with Paul Vallis as mayor shake out? (laughs) Just a a lot more friction, more Uh, animosity on the fifth floor. Absolutely. Um, So but also I would just if it's Brandon, I think uh, Brandon Johnson, I think uh, that's also going to present the challenge because if there is is, uh, numerically more progressives on the city council that uh, Yes, that perhaps can give him more support for particular types of legislation that he wants to put forward. But at the same time, we see right now that the progressive uh, movement in Chicago is a bit um, in flux. And so I think the challenge for him is going to be whether or not he can hold them together. Yeah. Because if you have a balkanization of the progressives at the city council level, then that could potentially uh, spell, uh, you know, um, or could doom uh, Brandon Johnson on particular important initiatives that he wants to put forward. Let's turn quickly to something else on yesterday's ballot. Voters faced a brand new choice, and that was picking candidates to serve on their local police district council. Each of Chicago's 22 police districts will now have a three-person civilian oversight council 
made up of folks from that community. So, Alden, most of us know very little about this new government body. So briefly, you know, start with the basics there. We, we've already got this Civilian Office of Police Accountability, or COPA, as we know. How will these new district councils be different from that? Um, I, I think we're all still kind of learning the lay of the land with, with these these uh, these new bodies. Uh, but it, it was an attempt at giving uh, some type of electoral uh, voice to the yeah. public to, to be engaged. And, and so uh, and I think what we really want to know is what power will they have? So they will have the power to uh, be a part of the conversation with regard to hiring and firing of police superintendents uh, and also the leadership of, of COPA. Um, now, they don't get to make those decisions unilaterally, but but they are. It's the first time that the public will have a role in that process. So so I so see. they're they're powerful in that way. And then on a day to day basis, they are engaged with with the uh, with those police districts, uh, the leadership of those police districts about uh, more practical things in terms of strategy and and resources and other things like that. Um, but it, that in that in that way, it's it's more of a kind of a um, uh, they're part of the conversation, but not necessarily part of the decision making. Yeah. All right, Mariah, let, let's go to some of the candidates who won. There was an interesting mix of people, former teachers. We had community activists, people who work in politics. Any interesting standouts? I ha- I'm going to be honest. I have not paid attention to these races quite yet. I'm excited to dig in. Like Alden said, it it um, it provides a, uh, you know, first of its kind, really, um, civilians say in police policy to um, this this body will be tasked with pitching police policy. Um, this was one of when you talk about, you know, Lightfoot, too, and 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 her record on police accountability. This was an ordinance that was a major win for police activists look or, you know, activists looking to have a larger say in police department policy. Mm-hmm. But it was um, it was watered down over over really strong. Uh, you know, frustrating negotiations with the Lightfoot administration. Yeah. Professor, had you looked at any of the results from the police district? Councils? No, I have not. Alden? Uh, no, I just caught wind that there were close to 20 candidates that were backed by the FOP, which is actually a pretty interesting thing. Yeah. Less than half of them were actually elected. But the fact that there will be the presence of candidates who are backed by the FOP, I think, is is an interesting point. I was looking at that last night myself and, and thought that that was going to shake out very interestingly. Um, Is it appropriate to compare these police district councils to local school councils, you think, as we try to figure out what exactly they'll be doing? It is a brand new body of government that is going to require, you know, coverage, just as, uh, you know, Chicago's school board requires coverage, just as city council requires coverage. These are going to be public meetings um, where they're, yeah, they're making, um, you know, monumental decisions or, you know, pushing forth monumental And policy. let's be honest, this this race, it was a difficult one for all of us to, to wrap our yeah. minds around it. It's brand new, so we'll, we'll just have to see. Thanks to our panel, Jaime Dominguez from Northwestern University and Mariah Wolfel and Alden Lowry from WBEZ. This episode was produced by The Reset Team and edited by Daniel Tucker, Stephanie Kim, and Ethan Schwab. If you like what you're hearing here on The Reset Podcast, please subscribe and give us a rating and scroll through our feed. We can guarantee that you will find some episodes that you'll love. Thanks for listening. Let's talk tomorrow.
Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.